It's 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, and we'll read uh, from verse 11 right the way through to the start of chapter 3. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servants would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept the boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house And the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. 
Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. Let me read from chapter 3, verse uh, 1 again and on through the chapter. Now the boy Samuel... The young man Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of God was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. In other words, God's voice just wasn't there. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so they could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. When there's an emotive phrase, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. But he, Eli, said, I I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. And therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I am going to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In other words, they'll be shocked at what they hear. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me, all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli said, It is the Lord. 
Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, on the right-hand side of that reading on the service sheet, the second back page, you'll see an outline of where we're going uh, this morning. Four points. Number one, as God's people, look to God in a time of crisis. Now, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel almost certainly were written for God's people during the time of the exile. So many, many centuries later, that's when these books of 1 and 2 Samuel were written. Get your mind into God's people in the exile in Babylon. It would just look like and feel like the end. The temple in Jerusalem destroyed. The city broken down. And God's people far from home. Some, like Daniel and his friends in the royal court. Many others with Ezekiel in the kind of shanty towns or the refugee camps by the Kibar Canal. It did not look like or feel like there was any hope. And these books of 1 and 2 Samuel took God's people back in history to a time when it looked like and felt like there was no hope. The days in which the judges ruled. That final verse in the book of Judges, there was no king, no leader in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But back in that time, God had intervened in the crisis to keep his promises. Now, in the time of the exile, when these books were first written, there was a timely message for God's people that God will keep his promises and the light has not gone out. And all through history, wherever you stand and sit in salvation history, we are at a point way beyond all that is promised in these books has been fulfilled, at least in part. We are not free in the church of Christ witnessing to God in the world from times of apparent crisis for the church or for the world. And it is a timely message for us that when the light looks like it is nearly out, God will keep his promises and Jesus Christ will build his church. Now, different people need to hear that message in different ways. It may be that some, not many perhaps, but some are trying 
with all their energies often best intentioned, to find a way out of the crisis in one's own strength. Our answer to the church's ills and problems. And that in no way means that we should not do stuff like plant churches and train people and energize congregations and reach out to communities. We should do all of that. But if we are seeking an answer to the crisis at whatever period in salvation history in our own strength, we may need to learn and often as we come to the end of ourselves, that it is to God that we need to look to get us out of the situation we are in. And so these books might need to humble us. For most of us, though, I suspect, we need the encouragement and our confidence renewed. As we live through a crisis in our world, and as we live through a crisis in our country, and as we live through a crisis in the church in the West, we should do a lot of stuff, but we must, must, must accept and submit to the fact that it is God and God alone in his power who is able to keep his promises and that he will do it in his way and in his time. Now, God's answer to the leadership crisis, that's what the crisis was back in the times of 1 and 2 Samuel was God's king. Now, the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are all about God's king, David, whose kingdom and kingship pointed down the centuries to the king, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. And the books of 1 and 2 Samuel are dominated by God's king as the answer to the leadership crisis. That's point two on the sheet. And we looked at that last week. And we'll spend most of our time in 1 and 2 Samuel looking at that. Just at the very end of Hannah's song or her prayer, she refers to God's anointed or Messiah this is king. That's the first time in the Bible the word Messiah is used alongside king. Now, that's going to dominate our studies of these books. God's answer to the leadership crisis then is God's king. And down through the centuries, fulfilled in Jesus, God's answer to any time of crisis in the church and we need to keep the application corporate. It does relate to our own lives. And the answer is the same. God's answer to any crisis in our lives. And in national life, 
and in church life. It's God's people submitting to God's king. Jesus, loyalty, love, fidelity, obedience, going into battle with him. But today, in these introductory chapters in 1 and 2 Samuel, chapter 2 that Scott read, the rest of chapter 2, and chapter 3 that I read, God's answer to the leadership crisis, not only is God's king, but God's priest and God's prophet. Now, let's pick up the narrative at chapter 2, verse 11. And Scott read that section for us through to the beginning of chapter 3. And as he read, and if you are following along in the service sheets, you'll see that I've set out the passage in the way that it's intended to be read. It contrasts, on the one hand, the priests Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. We know from chapter 1, verse 3 of 1 Samuel, that they are the priests, they are the religious leaders. They're at Shiloh, which is the central place of worship. It contrasts them the religious leaders, with, on the other hand, the boy Samuel. And you see how the narrative goes back and forth between the two. Let me just show you that. Chapter 2, verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, not even his name given at this stage, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. And then the beginning of the next bit, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. Then verse 11, back to Samuel. Verses 12 to 17, Hophni and Phinehas. Verses 18 to 21, back to Samuel. Then back to Hophni and Phinehas. Then Samuel again, verse 26. Then the Lord's judgment on the house of Eli, verses 27 to 34. And then in conclusion, the spotlight is back on Samuel. So that's how the narrative works. Let me say a bit about Hophni and Phinehas, the religious leaders. How bad were things at Shiloh? How bad were things within the leadership of the people of God? Well, we're told they were worthless men who did not know the Lord. The word worthless is strong. It is associated with some of the worst behavior in the period of the judges. What does it mean that they did not know the Lord? It means that they were not believers in the sense of consecration of life. Someone who knows the Lord, it changes their life. Like Hannah, humble, godly, circumspect, and prayerful. She is a nobody in worldly terms, but she knows the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas are somebodies. They are spiritual leaders of God's people, the priests at Shiloh. Their job was to take care of the sacrificial system that ensured that God's relationship with his people was preserved. And that shows you how bad 
and how shocking their behavior was. Now, the details of how they uh, disobeyed God in terms of the sacrificial system, we don't need to go into. But the point is that the very heart of what a priest of the Lord should do, attend to the sacrifice they abused. The modern equivalent would be a minister of the gospel who changes the gospel in terms of what it says about the death of Jesus. Jesus died as a substitute for us to bear God's wrath. Change that. And the message is worthless. Now, our cynicism about leadership in general might mean we're not shocked by this description of Hophni and Phinehas. You may watch, for example, a presidential debate and be cynical about leadership in our world today. But not shocked by it. Now, we need to be shocked when we read about Hophni and Phinehas and any contemporary equivalents. Why? Because they are leaders of God's people. We should be shocked at Christian leaders, prominent figures in the church today who do not know God. And there are many, there are many, according to Jesus, there are many. And according to the apostles, there are many. It is not for us to judge. It is for us to protect God's people. Most of all, perhaps, we need to pay careful attention to our life and teaching so that we don't swerve from the truth and harm others. Eli knew that his sons were wrong. He never affirmed their wrongdoing, but he never did anything about it. And then verses 27 to 34 is God's verdict, his judgment on Eli, his house, and his sons as priests. Verse 27, read with me. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, thus says the Lord. And what follows is sober reading. God will address the crisis of leadership among his people. He will keep his promise. You see, there are two sides to the narrative at this point. There's Samuel, who is in the background in chapter 2, but then in the foreground in chapter 3. And God's answer to the leadership crisis is both chapter 2 and chapter 3. He takes out Hophni and Phinehas, and he calls Samuel. God's judgment on Eli, his house, 
and his sons as priests in verses 27 to 34 is fair and just. God says, did I not do this for you? Then God says, what have you done? And then the verdict, I will now judge you. Leadership will pass from your hands and life from your bodies. It is a severe verdict, but just. And leaders of God's people then and still today who disregard God, who disobey God and tamper with stuff which is at the very heart of the gospel, risk indeed should expect the just judgment of God. God can take a powerful leader out in politics or public life. He can take a powerful church leader out. And at this point, we need to quietly and humbly attend to our own hearts and submit this kind of action to God and to God alone. Do not despair when you see corrupt leadership in the church. Trust God. And never presume that we cannot become like these worthless men. For you get to there by first taking small steps. Now, Samuel which is the positive side of this narrative. Where is he? There he is in the background in verse 11. The boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. He's just the boy. He's weak. He's just a boy. In contrast to the powerful priests Hophni and Phinehas. Then he pops up again in verse 18. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen effort. His mum made him a little robe that resembled a priest's robe, almost like a costume that he dressed up in when he was a boy to make him look like a priest. Next, verse 26. The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. He gets taller. And he grows in his heart. And then verses 35 and 36, the verses we're left with in this section. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest. We've got Samuel in our mind, surely, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. There's that word, Messiah. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. These are crucial verses. God judges corrupt leadership at this crisis time to further his promises and he raises up faithful leadership. I will raise up, I will raise up for me. Notice the orientation. I will raise up for me a faithful priest 
who will do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. A virtually identical statement is made later on in 1 Samuel about God's king. I will call a king after my own heart. God's choice. Now, at this stage in salvation history, God's priest is not the same person as God's king. That's clear from the statement that God's priest shall go in and out before my anointed. The anointed one is the Messiah king. So who is being referred to in verse 35 of chapter 2? It doesn't seem to be Samuel. If it were, surely the text would have mentioned his name. Let me read to you from 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 27 and 35. Here we are uh, down the years to the reign of Solomon, David's son. Maybe 50 or so years on. And notice God's timing is God's timing. God takes his time often. 1 Kings 2, 27 and 35, Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest to the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. And the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. So is Zadok the priest the fulfillment of the Lord's promise in 1 Samuel 2, 35? Yes, but Zadok the priest cannot be the full fulfillment of this, because Zadok the priest is not a priest forever. Who is the priest forever? It is, of course, Jesus. You are a priest forever. The writer to the Hebrews says seven times of Jesus. There's one other thing that points to Jesus. The boy Samuel points us forward to Jesus as the priest God's people need. Chapter 2 and verse 26. Chapter 2, verse 26. The boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Luke, who wrote his historical account of the life of Jesus so that we could be certain of who he is, wrote chapter 2, verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. God's answer to the leadership crisis is not only God's king, but God's priest. Now, when you study a book like 1 and 2 Samuel, I hope you see that this is what's going on as we see it fulfilled in the rest of Scripture. Never think of this like a kind of tick box to say, well, yes, 1 Samuel's about Jesus. Think of, think of it like this, that God fulfills his promises in his way, in his time, and nothing, nothing in the world can prevent or will prevent that happening. Because the light will never go out. 
God's answer to the leadership crisis, his king, his priest, point number four on the sheet, his prophet. That's the point of chapter three. Now, we'll deal with this much more quickly. We have to because the clock ticks. But we're helped by the fact that chapter three is one of the best-known episodes in the book, the call of Samuel as God's uh, prophet. Uh, Alongside Daniel in the lion's den, it's probably number two on the list of all-time best-known children's Bible story stories. Look at the beginning and end of the chapter. Verse 1. The boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And here's the key. The word of the Lord was rare. No frequent vision. And the other end of the chapter, the other bookend, the right-hand side, verses 19 to 21, Samuel grew. He must have been very tall by the time he grew up. And the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Bathsheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. The beginning of the chapter, the beginning of this episode, the word of the Lord was rare. In the days in which the judges rule, everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king, there was no priest, and there was no prophet to speak God's word. The end of the chapter God has a prophet again. And right through the period of the Old Testament, prophets were called by God to speak his word to the people of God and also to all people, to all nations of the earth. They were God's way of speaking. They were not only foretellers of what would happen in the future, they were foretellers. They spoke, they preached right into the present day of their time. This crisis time for God's people everyone doing what's right in their own eyes. There was no leadership. There was no king. God's answer, God's king. There was no priest who was not corrupt. God's answer to the leadership crisis and the corrupt priesthood, God's priest. And consistent with these bleak times, the word of God was rare. There was no vision. There was a famine, if you like, in the word of God. God's answer to the leadership crisis, God's prophet once again. Samuel is God's prophet. And the Lord speaks calling Samuel, as we know in this uh, chapter. Now, all down through the centuries, God called prophets, Samuel, then Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the so-called minor prophets, all of them around the exile. And then these words in Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, the days in which we live, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. God's answer to the leadership crisis was God's king, God's priest, and God's prophet. Three offices of leadership given to three successive lines of individuals through the period of the Old Testament. Kings and prophets and priests. 
good ones, bad ones, kings and prophets and priests, until God provided the once and for all leader his people need, God's king, God's priest, and God's prophet in the person of Jesus. And that glorious fact is anticipated, longed for, foreshadowed in these events in history, in the exile. And now that Jesus has come as God's prophet, priest, and king, we should not long for him any less. Let me finish with three specific applications. Number one, follow Jesus as our leader, God's king, priest, and prophet. Now, I need to trust that by the Holy Spirit, God will impress this on your heart and mine. It's not a point on a sheet. It is a wonderful message of encouragement that as we do battle, and we'll hear of this tonight in Revelation, we have in our leader everything we need. Follow him. Stick close to him. Never leave his side. Do not take your eyes off him. Love him. Be loyal to him. Remember that he leads the battle, not you. Submit to his authority as king. In the words of Sam, to kiss the hand of the son. Come back to the heart of the gospel, his death on the cross again and again, where he was the once and for all priest. Look nowhere else for your salvation. Look nowhere else for your assurance. Look nowhere else for the place that your freedom, not only from the penalty, but the power of sin was wrought. He is our forever priest, and he is our prophet. His word is sufficient. His word is true. His word completes God's revelation to his people the scriptures of the New Testament that he inspired his apostles to write, affirming and fulfilling all the promises of the Old Testament scriptures. It means every word in the Bible, for the whole Bible proclaims Christ. So teach it, 
listen to it, obey it, defend it, guard it. What a leader we have in Jesus, a powerful king, a forever priest, our prophet, the last word. Follow him. Stay close to him, never leave his side. As a church, as an individual, especially in a time of crisis. Let me share something personal with you. Last Monday, I had what is the best day out for a minister. Six hours walking in the Pentlands in the rain, listening to sermons. You know, it's great when you can listen to six or seven sermons in a row rather than over six or seven weeks when at the end of it you have no idea what's going on. I was listening to sermons of 1 and 2 Samuel to help me live in the text of these books. And as I walked and listened, I became grumpy, I think would be the fairest analysis. As I began to be frustrated with God at all of the challenges Scotland faces... The nature of leadership in our country and all that stuff that's going on. But most of all, my anxiety for the church, the necessary but costly breakup of the church in the last 10 years, and the first green shoots of recovery, church planting and so on and so forth. But now most of the church plants that have been planted can't meet because they don't have buildings. They have to hire them and they can't. And then this global pandemic has come along and kind of put everything in hold. And I began to think through all the things that many people are trying to do, like training and planting and raising finance to support it. And I was getting depressed and grumpy with God about all the challenges and the discouragements, worrying for those training, worrying for these people. And then I began to think about the American election debate. And you know, for people now in the world, it's, it's no longer funny, it's just really sad. And I started worrying about you. I often worry about you, shepherding you through this time. How are we going to keep the church together? What wise words am I going to come up with tonight? to hold it all together. The Bible tells us to do stuff, to be concerned, to plan, to have vision, to have strategy, but above all else, in a time of crisis, the Bible tells us to look to God and his king and his priest. And his promise as our prophet. As the church in Scotland, we need to look to God in this time of crisis. 
course we do, but it's doing it that matters in our hearts. It's a whole orientation. And often in church history, God gets us to a point of crisis when we look to him. Now, I suspect for most of us, it is not the rebuke we need. It is the encouragement we need. As we sit here, with our face masks on, in the middle of a global pandemic, in a thoroughly secular nation, with hardly any churches open, with some here and some at home, and that may go on for another year, it is the Lord Jesus who quietly says to us, keep faithful, but look to me. Trust me. Now, the last word today. Live quietly and humbly, giving our lives to God. And as I said very little about us. One and two Samuel is not about us. It's about God's king and his priest and his prophet and about what God does. But all through these books, there are characters that stand there for us as our example. Last week, it was Elkanah and Samuel. It was like an episode of The Archers, an ordinary story of country folk caught up in God's purposes. This week, there are two characters, and I leave them with you as the examples for you to follow. Number one, the unnamed man of God. Chapter 2, verse 27. The unnamed man of God. The other character, as our example, is the boy Samuel. In the first service, we could hear the kids next door. The boy Samuel. The boy Samuel who continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And these characters, weak as they are, the unnamed man and the boy Samuel, what do they remind us of? That God can use us, yes, but that it is God who is answering the crisis. And he will again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these passages in the Old Testament that give us confidence in our hearts as we face difficulties in life, in history. And thank you that in Jesus we have prophet, priest, and king, and we pray that we will stick to him with a loyalty, with a fidelity, with a love, and with a confidence, and with our rightful dependence that he will see us through and the church through these difficult times. Help us to be faithful and godly. Like this man with no name. Like Hannah, like Elkanah. And like the boy Samuel, who quietly got on with serving the Lord.
And all these things we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.